Good afternoon. If you have your copy of God's Word handy, you'd like to follow along, you can be turning to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah will be our study here in just a few moments. Uh, we are thankful so much for this good congregation and that love and care that has been shown over the last couple of days. Uh, certainly last night we had a great time together and enjoying a lot of fun and fellowship and even today. I appreciate the, just the wonderful example of our brother Robert, the tender heart that he has and uh, those in his family and appreciate his encouragement of us. Uh, it's just so encouraging. Appreciate the prayers that have been prayed on, on uh, our behalf and my behalf today and the care that you show for uh, me and for my family. Uh, if I could ask one thing, it's that you'd probably show a little less concern with my bread intake. Uh, everybody seemed to be really concerned about that today, but uh, I was reminded of the words of Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I disciplined my body, lest I preach to others I should become disqualified. So I did not eat any bread, uh, even though everybody was watching me every time I got up to go to the table, uh, and we've had a good laugh about that. Uh, I guess it's better just to move off of double stuff Oreos, Travis, for once. That was the, that was the thing for a while, but uh, uh, the the... I don't know how to explain it to others. I mean, we, we have the serious time, we have the Bible study, but the opportunity that we have to have fun and to laugh together, to be concerned and care about the things that are important and take care of one another and pray for those of our number who are sick and aren't with us that we're seriously concerned about and then yet to have fun and to laugh and enjoy being together. Uh, I don't know any other way and, and hope that folks who... Uh, are lost and can come to know Christ first and foremost because it's his blood that washes away our sins but the plan that God had in place for his church and the body to be together and encourage one another through this uh, thing called life is uh, just really really wonderful and I appreciate you all so much. We started about three or four years ago now when I uh, started here with you doing what we call the book of the month club beginning with the book of Genesis and going through just one book uh, each month, and that can be very difficult sometimes, as we talked about Isaiah last month, 66 chapters is a lot to cover, and you now are aware to, to bear with me and be with this lesson because it's a little difficult to, of course, cover it in great depth, but hopefully you will pick up some things as we go through these books each month, try to understand their place in God's Word, maybe, maybe pick out a few snippets or uh, themes or, or things that maybe you haven't thought about before. And so we want to do that this month as uh, we think, uh, and move on, think and move on to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, each month there's kind of a format, kind of an outline we, we typically run through, but sometimes it changes and, and maybe the order may change a little bit this month. We're going to begin today with some key words. Uh, one of those that's used in the book, or two of those I guess in the same form, is forsake and forsaken, which is used 24 times in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, without going into great detail, I know this can kind of get really heavy is not the word, but just over our heads. It's a lot to consume when you think about Old Testament history. Sometimes I will give you the years of the book. Sometimes maybe that's not as beneficial. Think back with me for just a second that we are talking about Jeremiah being a prophet, and the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, are either serving God faithfully, which they didn't do a whole lot, or they are kind of in that state of being rebellious. They are going to be in captivity, and that flow of the Old Testament story uh, through the children of Israel, we are at a time when they are being preached to by these prophets because they are not serving God as they should. They have forsaken him. And so that word is used, or those words are used there, about 24 times. Another word that's used, not quite as often, but may be a better theme, and you see the connection, of course, but is the idea of backsliding. 
Backsliding is what happened to Judah, the nation of Judah as part of the children of Israel. We think about uh, we, we joke about that today sometimes, maybe in the auditorium or the pews, talk about somebody backsliding even in the auditorium, but certainly when we talk, talk about backsliding, it's not our seat in the auditorium, but it backsliding away from service to God, and that is exactly what the children of Israel had done. Um, as I mentioned, our children are studying, our young people, are studying the book of Joshua for the Bible Bowl for Lads to Leaders, and we studied Exodus a couple of years ago, and it's just amazing to me sometimes I don't know if it's ever crossed your mind we sometimes today see God's handiwork right we see the beauty around us we see God working in his people even as we talk about this morning and our brother Robert coming forward here and the care and love we can show for one another we see God working in those ways but sometimes I'm fascinated to consider that the children of Israel had those miracles right? Those things that were happening among them. And as we've talked about Exodus, now we're talking about Joshua, the waters parting, uh, the things that were done, the walls of Jericho coming down. It's easy to shake our head and to shrug our shoulders and say, well, how did they miss it? I mean, how could somebody who was so close to what God was doing in such wonderful ways still not be faithful? I, I mean, I didn't march around those walls and watch them come down to then turn my back on that God who caused that to happen the next day. I mean, I'm, I'm still in awe of what happened. But yet we do find out that over the course of time, they do. They backslide and turn away from God. They forsake him. And so maybe the most common word in the book is the word return, which is used 47 times. And there's discussion always about returning back to God. Yes, you might have uh, been back, backsliding. Yes, you might have forsaken God or turned away, but you can return. We know that in the Old Testament, there was a period of return, even as they went away into captivity. And the book of Jeremiah, and by the way, as we lead into what will be next month, God be willing, uh, Lamentations, it, it's not exactly... This, this fun-filled story. It's not this fun-filled idea of, of God and his people and this wonderful thing that's happening. No, it's those who are forsaking and those who need to return. And so it's not encouraging. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment as we get into uh, Jeremiah himself there. Uh, but that is kind of the nature of the book there. A key chapter is chapter 31. We won't look at all of it, but chapter 31 is a key chapter in the book because there is beginning, I don't know if you're making notes there, but beginning in about verse 31, there is a a prophecy, a discussion of the new covenant. Uh, this, This great prophecy among many others in the Old Testament that point the way toward things that are coming that remind us and was to remind them of the faithfulness of God, that he would say these things and make these promises, and then yes, he would come through for those things. In Hebrews chapter 8, you see this uh, prophecy that is mentioned. It's quoted there in in Hebrews chapter 8, in verse number 13, uh, discussion or several places here in in chapter 8 of Hebrews about this idea of a new covenant. And so we see that, and once again, it gives us comfort to God or uh, peace in God knowing that he would fulfill these things and that new covenant is applied to the Christian age the Christian dispensation that we're living in now Uh, I didn't of course have room in the bulletin for lots of things Uh, if you wanted to jot down a theme the theme might be God's judgment because of sin God's judgment because of sin their sin had become so 
great that there was nothing left to do but for, to have, face God's judgment. In fact, someone else said that maybe the key thought of the book of Jeremiah is that Judah had become so wicked that she must fall. Judah had become so wicked that she must fall. And so we're back to this idea that we have touched on before, that some people look at God in the Old Testament and the way he worked, and they say, well, he's not loving. Why was it that he allowed his people to be killed or maybe to be carried away into captivity? Why would that happen? But we know, even as Charles prayed for us and mentioned this morning and others, that God is a just God. And so his, his justice is demanded, and it's going to take place. And Judah was so wicked that she must fall. And that's kind of one of the key ideas here of what, uh, of what they are going through and what they are going to face. The human author is, of course, Jeremiah. And as always, we kind of say that uh, not jokingly, but it seems jokingly because it seems obvious uh, but this is another one of those books where we basically would say that all scholars agree that it's Jeremiah. And sometimes when we get into that discussion of authorship, we use this term liberal scholars. And sometimes there are liberal scholars who will you know, say, oh, well, it wasn't Jeremiah, it was somebody else or even with other uh, books in the Bible. But this is one that even, we might even say even liberal scholars agree that the human author was Jeremiah. Of course, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, but he is the human author who recorded these things. Jeremiah is also called the weeping prophet. If you're familiar with the book of Jeremiah, you might know him by this name. Uh, the thing that I mentioned a moment ago that I would share with you in regards to the theme or the message of this book being kind of downcast or definitely not encouraging, someone said that Jeremiah was a heartbroken man with a heartbreaking message. A heartbroken man with a heartbreaking message. I think that's a pretty good way of saying it. His message was one of doom and gloom, so to speak, as we might say it. Uh, the reason that he was the weeping prophet was because, of course, he was, uh, he, his job, his message was to foretell, and not only that, but he was a witness to the fall of Judah. I'd like to ask you for just a second to put yourself, try to put yourself in his shoes, in, in his position, and what he had to do, because this is not fun at all, and the only thing I can come close to connecting it to, and I don't even think it's a great comparison, but the idea, of course, of doctors who sometimes have to deliver, you know, a cancer diagnosis or a terminal diagnosis of some sort is awful to think about, and of course, this is so much worse. Uh, we know that Jesus talks about not fearing those who can kill the, just the body, but those who can destroy, the, uh, destroy both body and soul in hell. So it's not maybe the best comparison, but it's this idea that all I've got to share is good news. Or excuse me, bad news. Sorry about that. Bad news. And it, which is so different from a preacher today. And, you know, we sometimes say, well, preachers and prophets and the message speaking for God. Yeah, but Jeremiah had nothing but a heartbreaking message. So I can stand up here and preach to you about sin. I, I can stand up here and preach to you about that you'll have an eternity spent in hell if you're not faithful to God and committed to Him and a Christian. But I can also preach about the grace and mercy of God, His great love that He shows toward us, and lots of encouraging things as we think about a home in heaven. Jeremiah said, I'm telling you what's coming, nothing but bad news. And not only that, but then he had to sit there and watch it with his own eyes. Witness exactly what he said. Not because he had the message, but because God gave it to him. And he's telling them what's going to take place, and then he's going to 
witness it. Now, the thing about calling him the weeping prophet is he wasn't all tears. His life wasn't all tears. He was bold and courageous. Again, this is kind of one of those books uh, when you think about uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, kind of some of these that we go through in this section of the Bible, they make up a majority, and so it's hard to get through every chapter, obviously, in just one lesson. But as you work through it, if you were, you would notice that he is bold and courageous. He speaks against rulers and kings and false prophets. In fact, we would notice that the book is in part autobiographical. autobiographical. We know more about him than we do most prophets. In fact, some people say that we have more biographical information about him, about the life of Jeremiah, than we do about David. Now, I've not counted that, of course, for myself, but it's interesting if you were to try to read through this, whether you do this month or maybe in your daily Bible reading, if you're following a Bible reading plan, we know more about his life than the life of David if you work your way through all the chapters of Jeremiah. In fact, a couple of scriptures, if you still turn there, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, a few things to note about him. He was chosen to be a prophet before he was born. Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Notice in verse 6, he started being a prophet as a young person. Some people, I think, put it maybe around a teenager. I, I don't know that for sure. didn't write that down in my notes, but I believe I read that. Maybe 13, 14-ish age, even that young. Notice in verse 6, Then said I, after the words of the Lord, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. So not only did he, was he chosen before he was born, but he started at a young age. Another thing that we would note here that's interesting, Jeremiah chapter 16, Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse number 2, Jeremiah was commanded not to marry. He was commanded not to marry. The word of the Lord also came to me saying, you shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. He was commanded not to marry. Now, that's, don't, don't mistake that for what people will teach about uh, priests or prophets or all these people and not marrying. But Jeremiah was. And if you read on down through the rest of that, the reason why is because of the disaster that was coming. His message is destruction. His message is captivity and horrible things. Uh, even down to verse 4, they shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. And for our time, we won't, we'll stop there. But because of the disaster that was coming, God commanded him not to marry. One more thing, if you look in Jeremiah chapter 37, chapter 37, verses 11, and it goes over into chapter 38 through about verse 6, 37, 11, through 38 verse 6, another kind of uh, part of his life is that he was imprisoned, excuse me, imprisoned as a traitor because of his prophecies of Babylonian victory. As you think about chapter 37 there, and you may notice on over into chapter 38 that it mentions him being imprisoned and it mentions him in the dungeon. Do you want to know why he was the weeping prophet? Do you want to know why his message was so bad? Well, he told them 
that they were going to be going into captivity, that Babylon was going to gain victory, and what they basically wanted to do was stick their fingers in their ears and ignore him, and the only way they could shut him up was to put him in prison. But of course, he was right. If you've ever had something that you've said, not that any of us can prophesy per se, but we might have warned somebody about something that's coming, hey, you keep living that way, and this is what's going to happen, They'll try to get rid of you, cut you out of their lives so they don't have to hear you. And then when it happens, you know you know that you, were, you could see it coming. Well, of course, Jeremiah is speaking by inspiration. It's a little different, but yet that's the case. And so he spent some time in prison as a traitor simply because he was telling them the truth. And it's amazing to think about that, but of course it still happened over the course of time. But we're thankful for his message and his willingness to preach even through that difficulty. When we think about a brief outline of the book here, uh, it's kind of hard to break down in, in the book of Jeremiah, and the reason is it's not arranged chronologically always. I know that's very frustrating sometimes. It's very frustrating to me, some of us who have uh, kind of OCD or whatever it works that way. Well, it's not always arranged chronologically. The book of Jeremiah is arranged for an effect. That when you read the material, it has an effect on you as you try to understand the story of the, the nation of Israel. You may read something in the book of Jeremiah, and it will be post the fall of Jerusalem. And then you may go over a page or two or some verses, and you'll read about something that's pre the fall of Jerusalem. So chronologically, which I like to work that way, it kind of doesn't make sense, but it's there for effect as we think about what the children of Israel were going to be facing. The division of the book might best be on the reigns of three notable kings. The first is Josiah's reign in chapters 1 through 12. Jeremiah was called during Josiah's reign. If you're making your own notes, notes through there, that was about 20 years Josiah's reign and Jeremiah for about 20 years during that time. The second section is Jehoiakim's reign, chapters 13 through 49, which is about 11, about 11 years. And so that's the second section of uh, the book. If we're trying to kind of trying to kind of give it a bit of an outline, chapters 13 through 49, Jehoiakim's reign, and that was about 11 years. And then the third being Zedekiah's reign. Now you'll notice if you're making notes and trying to look there that it gets really a little convoluted, a little uh, twisted to look at, 21, 24. If you're also making notes, you'll notice that all of those fall inside of the section we just talked about, right? We just said 13 through 49, and all of these fall in the middle of that. So uh, if you want to know more, do more study, I would encourage you to we try to help you with that, but again, it's not arranged, arranged for uh, chronological order, but for effect. This particular section in the book, Zedekiah's reign, was about 14 years, about 14 years as we think about the book. And if you've moved on and kind of looked at some of these chapters, you'll know, notice the fourth thing that here that we would say as far as a brief outline is the remainder, the remainder of the book, chapters 50 uh, on over through 52, the end of the book, they all deal with prophecies after Jerusalem's fall. That's kind of the remainder of the section there. Again, I know Old Testament history. I, I've told some of you before, um, before I got into kind of presenting some of these lessons and looking at this, it would even get confusing in my mind to try to keep this straight. So I apologize for the quick overview 
but that is certainly the, the best way to kind of briefly outline the book of Jeremiah. Let's talk about, as we did last month with Isaiah, some contemporaries. There were several. There's going to be about three slides here. The first that we would mention of uh, contemporaries was Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, here's the other thing I would like for you to think about is that I think it's very easy sometimes with the Old Testament, especially when we don't understand, to look at the books of the Old Testament, especially once you get past Psalms and Proverbs, right? When you get into these other books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, all the prophets, major and minor prophets. And it's easy to think that each book is like a story, right? So here's Ezekiel, and that's Ezekiel, this is Daniel, this is Jeremiah, and they're all separate. When in reality, as we've talked about now for two months in a row, they were contemporaries. They might have and probably were aware of each other to some extent, depending on where they were. This is, I like the way that one person said it I was listening to, that think about it like a prophetic circuit. That's what was going on a lot of times during this. Ezekiel was in captivity, and he was instructing the people. So again, just like a circle or a circuit, he might be up here. Ezekiel's in captivity, and he's instructing the people. Daniel was carried away in the first carrying away, and of course he's in the palace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's talking, has the ear of Nebuchadnezzar. When you read the book of Daniel, then Daniel's over here, and he's in the palace. Uh, and then we think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not go away into captivity, but Jeremiah was in, we might say, the homeland. And so there's this circuit, but here's the important part of that. Wherever you are, whether you were in captivity, whether you were taken into the palace, into the main area, whether you were still in the homeland, wherever you are, God was making sure his people had instructions. There were always people speaking the word of the Lord to those who were wherever they were. God is making sure his people have instructions and are told his will for their lives. We think about the New Testament age, the Christian dispensation. We are told exactly what we need to do. But guess what? The children of Israel, they were not left just to figure it out on their own. Wherever you were, there was someone speaking on behalf of God, telling people his will for their lives. And as Jeremiah is speaking in the homeland, Ezekiel and Daniel are speaking in Babylon. But that's not it. Let's not stop there. Habakkuk and Zephaniah are in Jerusalem. They were working with Jeremiah right there in Jerusalem. So again, I, I think it's easy to set him aside and say, well, Jeremiah, that's a horrible message. He's the weeping prophet. Oh, he was all alone. Kind of. He's certainly in the minority. But there was Habakkuk and Zephaniah who were also prophesying at that time. And so they're certainly in the minority but when we think about what was taking place, uh, he was not totally alone, although certainly they are outnumbered by all those who continue to want to do what they want to do and ignore the word of the Lord. Two more that you'll actually be familiar with, Nahum. Nahum was prophesying about Nineveh. He prophesied against Nineveh and foretold about the destruction of Nineveh. And then Obadiah was speaking of Edom and speaking and prophesying against Edom. So, yes, these men had tough tasks. Yes, it was very hard. Uh, yes, the message was not fun, but they continued to do it. Faithfully preaching the word of the Lord, faithfully sharing his instructions, and warning 
even in one comparison as preachers do today, comparison, even as we do today, warning, warning about what will happen if we are not obedient to God. Let's talk about a few verses as we begin to get towards the end of the lesson here. A few verses that you'll be familiar with that are kind of important, not necessarily that one is more than the other. Uh, But first of all, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. Thus says the Lord to the people, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I give you guys a hard time sometimes if you ever remember any of my sermons, you know, even the ones that were like last month. Well, some of you might remember, pop quiz time, this is a sermon I preached when I tried out here in 2018. It was one that I'd put together for another uh, vacation Bible school, maybe, or another lesson. Uh, but I preached it here when we tried out, and very thankful for that lesson and the encouragement that goes with it. Because the idea, of course, is that we will seek God's ways above other things. And remember there what it says. Seek it, walk in it, find rest. But what do the people say? We're not going to do it. We will not do it. And here we are today in a similar way, in a similar stance. We need to go back. We need to seek the old paths. We need to find the good way and rest in it. But yet people will not do it. And many people are familiar with Jeremiah 6.16. Also Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Uh, Kind of a carry on from the lesson this morning. The idea that when we gain too much self-confidence and we think we've got it all figured out, we are ready for a fall. We are ready to have something go wrong. I have written in the margin of my Bible here, we need God. Very simply put, the message of Jeremiah to the people was, you, we need God. It's not in ourselves. We can keep trying to figure it out. We can keep doing what we think we need to do, but we need God. And that's a great one to underline there or to make mention of in your Bible. And then uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. This is one of my favorites that I've written down a long time ago. I remember when I was a, a teenager, I went to a youth retreat one time, and uh, one of the speakers pointed out this verse. He called it God's phone number. And I know that's kind of a, maybe a bit of a silly way kind of, of saying it. Don't mean to be irreverent, but 333 being God's phone number. But I think you understand the message there if you've turned to it. God says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He simply made the point, if I remember that far back, that it's an interesting thought for us that prayer is us simply calling to God, and God has made the promise that if we will call to him, he will answer us. He will be there to answer what we say, and he can, of course, show us great and mighty things which we do not know. And that's always stuck with me because it's a great uh, passage to remind us about uh, praying unto God and his promise to, to listen. A couple of lessons, a couple of applications, just two here, and the lesson will be yours. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse number 13, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse number 13, the Bible says, For my people, God says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, 
and they've hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I would challenge you again as, again, a bit of a continuation from the lesson this morning. Are we trusting in broken cisterns that can hold no water? Or is our trust in God Almighty? Have we forgotten God? Have you, do you notice if, you're, if you turn to chapter 2 there, but chapter 2 in verse 32, God says, Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Let me say again that it's easy for people to point back and say, why did God allow his people to suffer? But what does God say? My people have forgotten me. They have forsaken me days without number. I've been patient. I've been waiting. And yet what they've done, there's one of our words from the beginning of the lesson, back to verse 13. They have forsaken me and they've put them, their trust in themselves. They're trusting in these broken cisterns, depending on the version that you're looking at, verse 13, New King James says that they have hewn themselves, putting trust in what they can do. So I would challenge you as one question as we conclude this lesson, are you trusting in broken cisterns? Are you trusting in yourself or in God? And then the second question, do you need the balm in Gilead? Do you need the balm in Gilead? Chapter 8 and verse number 22. You may be familiar with that phrase. The question is asked, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery <clears throat> Excuse me, for the health of the daughter of my people? Do we need the physician who is there, the great physician? There is a balm in Gilead. There is a great physician and we need to turn to him as we think about the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, once again, there are so, so much we could say about the book of Jeremiah that would take probably, for a lot of people, there are books that will cover 13 lessons, a whole quarter worth of study on the book of Jeremiah, but that's just about 30 minutes there, and we will leave it to you, and maybe if you get a chance to look through some of it, it might be encouraging, but we can certainly learn from the lessons uh, that we've even discussed just briefly here. As we usually say, we conclude our lesson with a chance to extend heaven's invitation. Even as that song that we sometimes sing and the mention is made there from Jeremiah, there is a balm in Gilead. There is a Savior. Do you need him? Maybe you need to come to him for the first time by being baptized for the remission of your sins. But maybe you stand in need of God's second law of pardon. We are thankful. I do say this quite often sometimes in extending heaven's invitation. But we are quite thankful that we do not get one shot after becoming a Christian, and once we mess up, it's over, too late, sorry, you had your chance. We are thankful that even as we mess up, God is there to listen, to forgive us if we will confess our sins to him, if we're willing to repent. But there's also the message, of course, of 1 John chapter 1, that if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus will wash away our sins, will cleanse our sins, and we can have blessed assurance. But if you're here this afternoon and you don't feel that blessed assurance, maybe because you've separated yourself from God or there's sin in your life, or even as our brother Robert encouraged us with this morning, maybe there's just a prayer that you need the prayers of this congregation. We are thankful to be together and to sing to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.